Good morning. Thanks for being at Open Life today. I'm glad that you are here. We're going through the, we're talking about the power of Jesus, and we're going through, we're still going through Luke, which we've been doing all year, and it's kind of fun to kind of just see how Jesus interacts with people, right? And so my first, I just have a question for you to kind of start off the conversation today, and that is, who here likes to multitask? Yeah, it's like we all do it, right? But who here thinks they're actually good at multitasking? Like, it's like one of your gifts in life is to multitask. Well, I was like looking up, I was thinking about the idea of multitasking and how it kind of affects my life. And I just looked up some t- statistics, and some of them are actually very surprising. And there's studies that suggest that only 2% of people can actually multitask with any effectiveness. And like for me, that was kind of shocking because I feel like multitasking is one of those things people always say, I'm just so good at multitasking. It's like, that's just how I function. And so the study went on to say more, that even in college students, 62% of web pages students open during a class, like when they're in session, has nothing to do with the subject that they're actually in the class for. So 62% of the web pages, so like, so like you have these students that are just looking up things that aren't even related to the subject. And like those people are the people that claim they're good at multitasking. And so then like for me, like with smartphones, I for like the last two years until May, I didn't have a smartphone. And I just had a really dumb phone. And I'd never checked my emails unless I had my iPad in my house with Wi-Fi. And so it was kind of nice because then you're like, you're off the hook when people, well, I sent you an email. And I was like, well, I didn't check it. <laughs> like, well, don't you have a smartphone? I'm like, no, I don't have a smartphone. So it's kind of nice. You're kind of off the hook. But 67% of people check their email or internet, this is one of the statistics, while they're on a date with someone. So spouses and wives, like, like, or even just a girlfriend, I would really advise you not to do this on a first date because it's just not like multitasking is not the time when you're on your first date. But 45% of people do that, check their email or the internet while they're at a movie theater. And those are like the most annoying because it's so dark in there. Then you see the glare from it, you know, like they say. There's one movie theater, I think it's like a Cinemark. They just have this like mean intro, like, please, or you're going to be escorted out of the movie theater. It's like serious business when you're talking about messing with people's movies, I guess. But then here's a statistic for you. 33% of people check internet or email while they're at church. So I'm going to be looking out for you guys. I'm, I'm of course, just going to assume you're taking notes. So you're off the hook with me. I'll just think the best of you. But um, the study goes on to say that an estimated 40% of productivity is lost when you focus on more than one thing at a time. 40% of productivity, the stuff that you do during your daily life, is lost. Your effectiveness is lost when you're doing more than one thing. And so we all know that using cell phone while we're driving is bad, but even if you have a hands-free device, the studies show that there's not much of a difference between driving with a hands-free device or driving without one. And they both equal, you're basically driving with the same uh, effectiveness as someone who has a blood alcohol limit of 0.08. So you're basically driving drunk when you're using a cell phone of any kind. And so it's kind of shocking to me because I love how people always say, well, I'm such a good multitasker. You know, that's, that's like the, the catchphrase of people who are busy. It's like, I'm so good at multitasking. I, that's why I live a busy life. It's like, this is how I'm effective. And so it's like, it's kind of surprising to me that that's actually not the case sometimes. We love being able to do more with our time. We love being able to be busy. We love to be able to say, look at all this stuff I'm doing. I'm able to do this. But to get, we love to get more bang for our buck. 
Well, today we're in luck because the story that we're talking about today is two miracles in one story. And so Jesus is giving us a two-for-one deal in the story that we're reading today. We're going to be talking about the, the healing of a woman and the healing of a child. And so it's awesome because Jesus is like the ultimate multitasker. Before now, we've been walking through Luke. It's been story by story, but now we're going to get to see two miracles in one. And like, it's exciting to see how Jesus multitasks and how some people think he's ignoring one person or ignoring the other one and kind of looking at how like, that's not Jesus' intention. When you look at Jesus, he's the ultimate multitasker. And like, we love multitasking things because it helps us with our time. But how many times are we in a conversation with someone or in a meeting with someone and the person with us, like, especially if it's just two people, the other person starts to multitask and you're just trying to be in a meeting or have a conversation? Like, it gets pretty annoying when someone's multitasking, checking their email, checking their phone, checking Facebook, checking Twitter, doing all this stuff. It's a lot of checking stuff. Like, I, I need to know what's going on while, when you're in these conversations. And I'm a suspect number one when it comes to this. I'll be in a meeting, and I'll have my web browser open on five different things, looking at five different things, and also trying to talk and be engaged. And that's what happens in this story, is that Jesus is asked to do one thing, and then he goes to go do it, and then he gets distracted, or as we think he's distracted, from the thing. And it ends up causing something very serious for Jairus, the main character. But this morning, I want us to focus and understand that it's important to understand that Jesus cares about you today. He cares about you so much and so personally. Other people might be going, you might have other people in your life who are going through a trial, and you might think, well, Jesus really needs to help them. Or you might be in a situation where you say, well, there's so much other stuff going on, my needs don't matter to Jesus as much as those people's needs. And what's important today when we walk into a church, when we walk into, when we're worshiping Jesus to understand is that Jesus is the ultimate multitasker because although he wants everyone to like have freedom and he, he died and suffered his, he lived his life perfectly, died and suffered death and rose again for everyone, he also did it for you, like personally. And so when we can realize that, that Jesus, although he did everything for all, he also did it for you, then our own personal faith should rise up and we should have confidence to go before Jesus and ask him to like, intersect with our lives and like, empower us to see miracles, empower us to live according to his word. And in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says this. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we, we, do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life even when he had every opportunity to kind of turn, for, turn from that. He died and rose again, and the Bible says that Jesus is now our high priest, the one that we get to turn to in times of need, and the one that we get to put our faith in. His actions were all for all people, but they're also for you personally. His love, his mercy, his peace, 
it's like for you to take a grasp of. It's for you to take a hold of. And so when we read this story today, we're going to look at it from like three different perspectives. But think of it from your perspective today. It's like, how can I grab a hold? How can I have the faith? How can my faith rise up? Because I know that Jesus so personally wants to affect me in my life. And so let's read today's story. It's Luke 8, 40 through 56. And let's just listen to how Jesus has to multitask between two different people, but also how he shows complete focus to both of these situations. And so the the story goes in Luke 8, 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. One of the best things that we can do when we're reading this story is look at it from the three different perspectives. And it might be three, one of them might be a little bit different than you might be thinking, but the first perspective we'll look at is from Jairus' point of view. And then the next one will be from the point of view of the woman. And then finally, we're going to look at the point of view of the crowd and how they interpret this, because it's much different from the way that both of these main characters interpreted it as well. And so as we walk through the perspectives of the story, let's understand the personal decision that we all have, and that's to choose faith or to choose fear. And that's your first, first, first feeling is, are we going to choose faith or fear? In following Jesus, am I going to live my life with faith or am I going to live my life in fear? It comes up a lot in the story as we read. Do the people of the story choose faith in Jesus or do they succumb to fear? It's a decision for them and it's a decision for us as well as we live our lives. Do we choose to follow Jesus with our whole hearts with as much faith to see power come out of him or do we choose fear because of a multitude of things that could be going on in our lives? So let's look at Jairus. He's the leader of the synagogue, someone who was versed and entrenched in the Jewish tradition. And there's no doubt that he's heard the stories of Jesus healing people. He's heard the stories of what Jesus is teaching. And we don't really know, we're not really told what, what Jairus' personal opinion is of Jesus. 
But we do see from what we've already read through Luke is that the synagogue is kind of a decisive place where Jesus comes and he teaches, and then people either like follow Jesus or they get really mad at Jesus and they turn from him. And so it's this really volatile like issue of Jesus at the synagogue because the synagogue is entrenched in Jewish tradition, the customs, the rituals of what the Jewish people lived by. And then Jesus comes and he kind of changes everything. There's a decision that has to be made when Jesus encounters people's lives. And a lot of people chose to follow Jesus and a lot of people chose to turn from him. And so we aren't told what Jairus' idea, what Jairus' idea is of Jesus, but put yourself in his shoes. We don't even have to know how he feels. But you have a 12-year-old daughter, your only child. And 12 years before this story, at the same time that the woman, as we'll read, had her issue of bleeding started, Jairus receives a daughter. And for him, it had to have been such a blessing, such a great thing for him and his family to have a daughter, an only child, and to live with that blessing, to, to live with those joyous moments of just having a child, of living with a child, of having that companionship, and being that father figure for someone, and, and raising someone up, and seeing just someone grow up. But then imagine being in that situation, and that child is now sick. And we're told that, that Jairus goes to Jesus, and he says, you know, my daughter is dying. Like, literally, if something doesn't happen, she's going to die. And so just picture it. He throws himself at that Jesus' feet, and he says, my daughter is sick. She's my only daughter. She's only 12. Will you please come with me? He's pleading at Jesus. He humbles himself. No matter what he thought about Jesus, he thought something could happen. So he humbles himself. 12 years of joy, of blessing, of cherishing his daughter's presence comes down to this. And Jairus, the Jewish leader, the respected leader of the synagogue, sees no other way to help his daughter. But then he sees the crowd around Jesus. And so he goes up to him. And what I love is that Jesus does it. It's not like there's this huge discourse of going back and forth, but Jesus says, you know what, I'll go with you. So he's on his way. And so it's interesting to see how that plays out. You've tried everything. Imagine just being, just put yourself in Jairus' position. You've tried home remedies. You've tried taking her to doctors. You're at your wits end. You're going crazy because you're realizing that there's nothing you can do to save your child. And you're just left with this, this like glimmering hope. You see a crowd coming and they're all following Jesus. You're like, I've tried everything. My daughter is sick. She's dying. She's in this room alone. What am I going to do now? And so something inside of Jairus said, you know what? I'm going to have enough faith to go up and ask Jesus for help. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I'm going to go up to Jesus. I'm just going to say, you know what? Can you please help me? And Jesus does it. He agrees to come. And so the crowd is slow moving. They're, they're in a big crowd. Jesus is in the center of it. And, and then all of a sudden, the next thing, if you're in Jairus' position, the next thing you know is that Jesus stops the whole crowd and he says, who touched me? And so now we have the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Put yourself in her shoes. Imagine being in her situation. You're a woman living in a time and place, a specific time and place of this story. And so just like Jairus, you have your own things to deal with and worry about. You're born in the traditions of the Jewish culture. You understand the rules and the laws and the rituals. But as you become an adult, you begin to deal with 
this issue of blood. And the nature of this disease is not really known specifically, but most scholars believe that it's like a uterine hemorrhage. And so it's not something that she would necessarily die from, but it's quite, it's literally something that she's been suffering with and dealing with for 12 years. At the start of the disease, just imagine at, at month, week one, you have the disease and you're worried about it. You're kind of wondering what's going on, but hopefully it will get better. Days, weeks, and months go by and nothing is improving. And, and in the midst of all this, we have a teaching in Leviticus 15 from the Old Testament that says, if a woman has any bleeding outside of her period, then she's supposed to be seen as unclean. And so then if anybody touches or interacts with her, then those people are unclean. And so what you have is you're realizing that this woman is not just someone who's suffering from sickness. She's suffering from public shame because she can't be around people without making other people unclean. Anything that touches her is unclean. And so she's dealing with the issue of sickness, but she's dealing with the issue of shame. She's dealing with the issue of just not being good enough. And so some manuscripts even point out that this woman, so desperate for healing, so desperate to just be well, she spent, it says that in other translation, it says she spent all her living on physicians. So you've been sick for 12 years. You spent all your money trying to get better but nothing has happened. No person can heal you. No doctors are able to help you. And what they do, do nothing works. You're unclean as well, so no one wants to be around you. Your presence makes other people unclean. And so it's just this messed up situation, this messy, messy situation of just, what is my life worth? And as the woman, like, what... What is going through her head? Just like Jairus, she's striving. She's like, what can I do to become clean? What can I do to find healing in my life? And so then what does she do? She sees the crowd as well. And so this crowd is through Jesus. They're gathered around him. And she's heard the stories about the people being healed too. She's seen the teachings that Jesus has done. And so she too, just like Jairus, is like, you know what? I have nothing else I can do, but maybe I can go to Jesus and maybe he'll heal me. And so as she goes up to the crowd, this woman is going to have to make certain decisions as she approaches the crowd. Am I going to make other people unclean so I can just see Jesus? Will I make Jesus unclean by trying to touch his garment? What will happen if I do this? So she walks up behind him, touches the edge of his cloak, and we are told in a miracle that she's immediately healed. Her bleeding literally stops at that very moment. The scriptures are clear that she knew she was healed in that moment. But what's also cool is that Jesus knew that healing went out of him in that very moment. So think about it. 12 years of suffering, gone with a single touch. Years of shame, gone by just touching the edge of Jesus' clothes. She knew the minute she did that, healing had come to her, and Jesus knew that power had left him. And so Jesus at that moment is preoccupied with Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. They're walking to Jairus' house. Yet, the woman just goes up to him and touches him. And so then there's this pause, there's this moment. And so for me, I imagine, how many people were there? How many people were crowded around Jesus? Have you ever been in a crowd before? Like, 
I was at the Super Bowl parade, and I tried to get on the sounder train, and that was a nuts kind of crowd, because you're literally standing, and like, there's a person literally right here, right here, right here, and right here, and you like look around, and you're like, is this the end of the world, and everybody's trying to get on the train and like live, like, is there like contagion going on, are we all going to be zombies or something? Because everyone's just trying to escape. And so there's that moment. And I, I don't think there's that many people in the story about Jesus. But you get the feeling of being in a crowd and just being just submerged between two different people. And so Jesus says, who touched me? And if you're the woman, you have to be saying to yourself, are you kidding me? Like, literally, I touched Jesus. I, I know I'm healed. I know I touched Jesus. But there's hundreds of other people that are walking past him, touching him. How could Jesus know that he touched me, that I touched him and found healing? And even Peter says, Jesus, there's people all around, and you ask who touched you? And Jesus says, this is different, Peter. Power has gone out for me. And so the woman is caught. She's responsible for the pause in this story, the distraction of Jesus going to Jairus' house, and so now Jesus is in this moment has to learn to multitask. And he's already good at multitasking. But you get this story of Jesus multitasking. He's trying to help Jairus, but he has to pause. He has to look and find the woman. Someone touched me. Power went out. Someone was healed because they had faith to come to me. But there's just one more thing that has to happen. There has to be acknowledgement of it. And so we aren't even told if the woman even knows that that's what Jesus was doing, was going to go see the child but she knows that she's been suffering for 12 years and it's time for her healing. But still fear grips her. She falls at Jesus' feet, literally trembling. And why was she trembling? It's because of the shame. It's because of the feeling of still being unclean. The feeling of, I can't be around Jesus. I can't be around other people. I'm making all these people unclean by my presence here. And so she explains what she did. She explains why she did it. And Jesus' response is so perfect. Because he says, daughter, it's like that, even just saying daughter, it like brings her into his family and says, daughter, your faith is healed to you. Now go in peace. And so the next point today, what I want us to realize is that faith or fear will kill, but faith will save. The woman had faith and was healed, but when we look at what Jesus says, we need to look deeper into what Jesus was saying. Your faith has healed you. The Greek, you. the Greek word that's used for heal in this, in this passage is actually the same Greek word that is often used by other writers and of Luke when Jesus says, or when writers say that when you find, have faith in Jesus, you are saved. And so Jesus saying that, daughter, your faith has healed you. He's saying, daughter, your, your faith has saved you as well. It's like a double meaning. It's, it's, and the, that's what we don't realize when you, when you read other scriptures. It's the same word. Heal and save is the same thing. It was not just, daughter, you're healed because of your faith. It was, daughter, you are clean now. Daughter, you are saved. And oftentimes we read about healing, but what we are seeing is the physical manifestation of something spiritual that has gone on in someone's heart. And so the case of this woman is no different from when we choose to follow Jesus. When we choose to say, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm putting my faith in you. We have to know that when we do that, when we choose to do that, that Jesus is saying, son, daughter, 
your faith has saved you. And so do we realize the spiritual aspect that happens when we choose to follow Jesus to put our faith in him? Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not that we save ourselves through any works that we do, anything that we do when we come to church or, or try and be good people. There's nothing that we do that saves us. It's only through our faith and acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. That's when we are saved. John 3, 16, Jesus said, it, Jesus said it himself, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but what is most important, he says, but to save the world through him. You see, fear could have risen in this woman when Jesus asked who touched me. She was called out, she was found out, and Jesus knew what she did. So was she going to be full of fear and let that consume her? Or was she going to let faith rise up within her to acknowledge that, you know what, Jesus, I'm the one who touched you. And I think this is where we fall short in when we approach Jesus in our own lives, is that we think that because we are unclean, that we're going to somehow make Jesus unclean. Why would Jesus heal me? Why would Jesus save me, love me? when I've done this, or I've done that, or I live this way. And you get a sense that the woman's like, I'm dirty, Jesus. You are clean, and that can't mix. And oftentimes we have that same mentality. I'm dirty, Jesus. I'm not clean, and you are perfect. How can that possibly mix? And so if we'd only understand that, what, like this woman, that when we approach Jesus, he makes us clean. And there's not this transmission of dirtiness to Jesus. There's this transmission of cleanness from, uh, from him to us, for us to be healed, for us to be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes sin. But the great thing about it is that he doesn't become dirty because of our sin, because of our sin, he died and rose again so that we would be clean. It's through Jesus taking on our dirtiness and our filth while still being completely clean and dying for us that it allows us to be right with God. And it's that moment of faith where we hand all of our junk over to Jesus, where we put it all on his back, that we truly find that righteousness with God, that peace with God, that love from Jesus. And so Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. And so the, tr the story transitions. A man from Jairus' house comes along with the terrible news that Jairus' daughter has died. And so this is what the guy says. He says, don't bother the teacher anymore, is what Jairus is told. Don't bother the teacher. And so if I'm Jairus, what am I asking myself? Don't bother the teacher like, seriously? Who's bothering him? I already asked him to come to my house to help my daughter, and he said he'd come. We're actually on our way right now. Who's bothering Jesus? And if I'm Jairus, I'm pretty ticked at the woman that we're on our way to my house to find healing for my daughter, and then all of a sudden Jesus stops. Who touched me? Why are we stopping? My daughter needs healing. Where are we going? And so if I'm Jairus, I'm pretty ticked. I'm just mad. It's like, 
You're telling me not to bother Jesus. My daughter is dead, and I can't bother Jesus. And so that's what, like, the crux of the whole story is because Jesus is so gracious and just honest with Jairus and says, you know what? Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. And so that's where we get the same point as fear will kill, but faith will always save. And fear does that to us. It steals our hope. It gives us every reason why we can't do something or why we, something can't happen. And so we begin to wonder, well, my, my daughter's dead. What can happen now? But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. When fear says you can't do something, faith often says, well, why not try it? Just believe, Jairus, and your daughter will be healed. Because faith leads to life. And so the story kind of goes like fast-paced from here. It, they arrive at Jairus' house, and the scene is very bleak. People are mourning, people are wailing, people are crying. Even scriptures tell us that the mourners that are talked about in the story, they're like professional mourners, where they would come when people have a death in their family, and they would come just to cry and wail about a death. And it sounds bleak, but I mean, I... I guess it'd be nice if people suffering with you. And so Jesus, but isn't deterred by all of this. He's like, you know, like, just knock it off. She isn't dead. She's actually asleep. And what does the people do in there? Like, first they're like wailing and crying. But then when Jesus says, just stop it. She isn't dead. She's just asleep. What do they do? They laugh at him. They laugh at Jesus. And we'll talk about this more later. But Jesus isn't deterred. He grabs Peter. He grabs uh, John and James. Takes them to the room with the girl's parents. And it just so, seems so simple when you read the stories that Jesus says, my child, just get up. And she does. And it's just this moment of like this joyous moment that seems so simple in scripture that it's just awesome to see Jesus' like perspective from it. To see, you know what? I'm just going to go in. I'm going to heal. I'm going to go into this room. I'm going to heal this daughter. Jairus has the faith. He came to me. There was a little bit of multitasking that had to be done, but that's not out of my power to multitask. And so he does it. And so Jesus looks out for her physical needs by asking for food for her. And then he just asks for Jairus' parents, you know, let's just keep this between us. And it's just one of the questions that maybe we can talk about in our small groups this week. It's just like, why did Jesus tell these people not to tell people when uh, every other time, or a lot of other times, Jesus says, well, no, go tell the synagogue. Go do, tell people what you have done. And so it's just interesting to think, and I don't have the answer, but a situation that got from bad to worse for Jairus, he went to Jesus, and then Jesus gets distracted, and then his daughter dies. From bad to worse became something that had to be such a joyous experience for his family. Imagine Jairus at that lowest of moments when he would think that Jesus was distracted from healing his daughter. And I love that sometimes in our lives, at our lowest points, that's when Jesus calls us to have the greatest of faith. It's one thing to have faith for healing a sickness, which Jairus had. He said, Jesus, come heal my daughter. She's sick. She's dying. But Jesus says, even after she's dead, Jairus, just believe and she'll be healed. Jairus finds the greatest of faith at his lowest moment 
and Jesus walked into the house and healed his daughter. We have two stories of healing here. The woman who's sick for so long and then Jairus' only daughter on her deathbed. And the, the cool thing about this story is that they got to have these two characters, the child and, the, and the, the lady with her sickness for 12 years. When the child was born, it was right around the same time that this woman was dealing with her sickness. And it's cool to see how the stories interact because the woman comes, and like at her high point in her life of being healed, Jesus calls out, no, you need to come out with faith. Like, you need to own up to this. You need to actually believe it. Your faith is healed to you, but you need to say it. But then for Jairus, that lowest point in his life, where he's like, my daughter's dead. What can I do? I'm bothering Jesus now. Jesus says, no, just believe and your daughter will be healed. And so we've looked at the story from the woman's perspective, from Jairus' perspective, but what about the crowd? Unfortunately, that's where I think I fall into a lot, is the crowd and how I interact with Jesus and how I interact with other people. The hardest thing for me to imagine in this story is that out of everyone in the crowd, if there's so many people there around Jesus, only one person approached him with enough faith to have his power to touch their lives. And so you can't tell me that there weren't other people brushing against Jesus, touching his cloak, in the crowd, walking next to him, that didn't need healing in their life as well. Everyone's messed up. Everyone has something in their life that needs healing. But only one person around Jesus had enough faith to see Jesus' healing come into their life. And so to kind of conclude the message today, I have three warnings for the crowd. And the first is that just because we're in Jesus' crowd doesn't mean we have complete faith in him. One woman had faith to find healing. One unclean person, someone who couldn't be part of the crowd without making others unclean, that's who had faith to find healing in Jesus. How easy was it for all those people to surround Jesus, yet no one had faith to see power in their lives. And we can do a lot of things today to kind of show that we're in Jesus' crowd. It's really easy. People come to church, we try and do good things, we try to speak nice, we try to have great attitudes, and those are all good things. We should all strive to have those things. But when we let those things and those actions get in the way of our faith, And not realizing that Jesus is right next to us, ready for a miracle to happen, we just have to have faith to believe it, then I don't want to be in the crowd. I don't want to be in part of that crowd. I just want to have faith to see Jesus do awesome things in my life and in other people's lives. If I'm taking time to walk with Jesus, to meet him, to to crowd up against him like so many of us do, I want his power to be flowing through me as well. And so the next warning is, when we are part of the crowd, it's easy to limit other people's faith. So if I'm the guy who tells Jairus his daughter is dead, imagine being that guy in this story. You tell Jairus, your daughter's dead. Quit bothering the teacher. If I'm that person, and then days later, you find out how it actually ended. Jesus indeed went to Jairus' house and healed his daughter. 
How do I feel? How do I feel being the one that told Jairus, you know what, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. Now just move on. How do I feel that I tried to distract Jairus from that moment of believing in Jesus for healing? I got to feel pretty terrible. But the problem is, is that that happens all the time in churches today. People who are sick, people who have sick people in their families, people who are considered unclean, even by today's standards, people who feel shame when they approach the Jesus crowd. My prayer is today that God will forgive me in times that I've, I've walked up to someone and said, don't bother Jesus, you're too far gone. And I think if we don't realize that, if we don't realize that we have the power to bring faith to people, then we've totally lost our compass on following him. I don't want to be the guy that says, you know what, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Now just quit bothering Jesus. I want to be the guy that says, you know what, Jairus, your daughter is dead, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I think we should go and petition Jesus with all our might and all our power to see healing. And so the final thing, and well, I'm crying, but uh, <laughs> the worst theme's going to come up. But we shouldn't laugh at Jesus when he wants to heal those we think are dead. We shouldn't be people that have this idea of what Jesus wants to heal and what Jesus wants to save. We should be people in the crowd, ushering people into close proximity with Jesus. And so my goal in life oftentimes is to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can. And so, <clears throat> sorry. So I, like, if I imagine Jesus in this situation, I want to be the guy that's literally walking next to him, brushing up next to him, the person that can touch Jesus. But sometimes that means me giving up my spot and saying, you know what? come here, like, you need to be close to Jesus, too. And the cool thing about it is, like we talked about earlier, is that Jesus loves all of us. He died for everyone, but he died for you personally. He died for me personally, so that I don't have to give up my spot to get other people close to Jesus, but I certainly need to be and take initiative and be proactive in getting other people close to that spot as well. And so those are the warnings. And so as we go into a time of worship, where there's just two action plans today. Well, there's more. If you want to join a group, we'd love to hear about that. And that's on your connection card on the back. If you want to be baptized, we're doing that next week. And that's just the public statement of saying, I'm following Jesus. And so if you want information on that, just check the box. Even if you're wishy-washy about it, like you don't know if you want to do it, we'll just check the box and we'd love to contact you this week and just tell you what it's going to be about. It's not going to be hard. It's going to be a party and it's going to be fun. And so I'd encourage you to do it, but just check that box. But the action steps today is one to examine your faith. When we, when we worship Jesus, when we are in those moments of just going after him and, and just trying to have more faith, is examine our faith. Do we need to have more faith? Are we in the crowd, but not really having faith to see Jesus' power work through us? 
do we need healing in our lives for something? My hope this week is that our faith would rise, our faith would grow, our our confidence in Jesus would grow for miracles to happen. For other people too, for people that we're praying for, for miracles and others. But examine your faith this week. And is is there anything that you need to do that would just say, you know what? I need to take a step of faith so that my faith can grow stronger. And then the last one is go in peace. Because that's what Jesus told the woman. He said, you know what? Your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. And what I love about the story that we've been reading is that, we, and we watched it earlier in the bumper, is that the storm comes, the waters are raging, and Jesus just sets everything at ease. He brings peace to the situation. Last week we read about the, the demonized person who was healed from a demon. And that's a messy situation, a stormy situation. And Jesus heals the situation and brings peace. For the woman with the the blood problem, he heals her and tells her to go in peace. For Jairus, it was a sickness in his daughter, a messy situation, people mourning, people just laughing at Jesus, and he sets it at peace. And so today, realize that you have that peace inside of you, that Jesus, when you follow Jesus, he's ready to bring peace to your situations. And so whatever storm that you're going through, whatever rocky thing you're going through, don't lose faith. Your faith will heal you. Now go in peace. And it's not like instantaneous sometimes. It's like so oftentimes Jesus works very slowly in people's lives. But we have faith to take that next step and that next step until we can look back and say, wow, that was a lot of cool faith steps. And my life is at peace right now. And so let's just pray. Let's ask God for peace to reign in our hearts and for our faith to grow stronger. And let's just see miracles happen in our lives. God, you are so awesome. And I thank you that no matter where we are on our path of faith, that if we choose to take that step of just believing you for miracles, God, that you're faithful and that my confidence in you is so strong that you're going to do amazing things in people's hearts, God. And so as we worship today, God, I pray that we would examine our faith. How can we just grow our faith in you a little bit more? And God, I pray for your, your peace that surpasses all understanding, that it would go into our hearts and just kind of like go out from us into our families, into our friends, God, into the things that maybe we aren't even ready to believe for. I pray for for just powers of physical sickness, God, to be broken because of the peace of your faith that it brings, God. I pray for healing in people's lives, physically and spiritually, God, relationally, God, and all that. Your peace reigns above all else because faith will save and fear will kill. And I pray that I would not give fear a second look. And I pray that I would not let that fear rise in my heart, God. But let my faith drown out the fear so that I can walk in you. In your name.